0: that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog, Unpickled, where I've been telling my story of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my story there, and I hold space for your stories here. And today on the show, I welcome Keith Keller. He's the author of the Infinite Recovery Handbook, and uh, I think we're going to have a really fascinating discussion today. So Keith is a registered nurse. He's also studied several modalities of alternative and energy healing approaches. And so as a guy who's been in recovery for almost three decades now, he brings personal experience plus a wide breadth of approach to his uh, method and practice of recovery, and uh, he's got a lot to share with us today. Not only his story, but informing us on some of the things that he's learned about other ways to approach recovery. Keith, welcome to the Bubble Hour.
2: Hi, Jean. It's great to be with you. Thank you for that really nice introduction.
1: Well, I'm glad you're here, and I'm super interested to hear what you have to say. Today, we were talking just a little bit before we came to air and I was telling you about how on the Bubble Hour, we always talk about the patchwork approach to recovery and that this podcast is really a way for us to hear how other people are doing it and to learn about things without making recommendations or diagnosis or anything like that. We're just all sort of sharing our story and how we did it. And so I always love to hear about people that have really done some of the traditional things and are trying some non-traditional things and have learned along the way. So I feel like you have a lot to tell me. So why don't we start by hearing your story? Let's get to know you a little bit and tell me what happened 28 years ago that brought you into a life of recovery.
2: 28 years ago. It, it seems like 30 or 40 years ago. No, it, it, uh, and it's funny how... how Time is is uh, uh, just just goes by. Uh, Anyway, uh, well, I started life as a musician, and uh, at a very early age, uh, started playing drums, playing in bands in uh, high school, and a school night might find me out at a bar, say at the tender age of fifteen, playing with much older. Uh, fellow musicians and getting paid in drinks, and of course that uh, led me into a, a, a wild life where uh, partying became enmeshed with my music, which I, I was very passionate about. And I, I worked very hard, and I was I was somewhat talented. I pursued music after high school, and and by this time I I had established myself as uh, uh, my my habits of um, partying and. and drinking, and uh, kind of a poly substance abuse. Reality was to be avoided at, at all costs, and uh, probably daily pot smoker, and, uh, you know, it, it was a wild life, and I won't say, you know, it, it wasn't fun, um, it's miraculous uh, that I didn't uh, hurt myself or, or others, a- and so it went uh, through my, my 20s. I stumbled into the medical profession, and really almost in a blackout, went to um, a technical program and became a surgical technologist, which is kind of a responsible job where you are in the operating room during surgery, assisting surgeons, responsible for the instrumentation and equipment. And uh, so, you know, here's here's a real paradox. I've got this, you know, I kind of like this respectable thing, you know, regular... Paycheck benefits, um, paid vacation, and and stuff like that. Yet, you know, I'm I'm this rebel musician and uh, leading this you know wild life, on, you know, on the outside. And of course, the the two were frequently in, in somewhat collision. Uh, and those you know those late night call-ins for those. Emergency surgeries. Uh, You know, finally the you know the writing was was starting to be on the wall. My supervisor one day says, "I got to talk to you. There's been some concern." And and so, uh, okay, yeah, the the writing's on the wall. But you know, when did scare tactics ever really work with people like us? So uh, you know, that continued until uh, it really just all hit bottom. Uh, I was in a, in a relationship, which was, was really a struggle. Uh, there seemed to be some conflict with the neighbors. Uh, bands were, you know, every band I was in seemed to be firing me. And, uh, of course work is, is, you know, uh, the writings on the wall there. My mother passed away, uh, when I was 30 and, you know, within, uh, she, oh, she, she died of the ravages of alcoholism and, you know, in her late 50s, at a younger age than I am now. I'm, I'm 59 as I sit here. I'll be 60 in a couple of weeks, which I, I can't believe, but that's another conversation. So, you know, all this stuff, you know, the, and, and a little uh, grieving uh, thrown in, uh, stressors, and uh, I just had a, a complete meltdown and hospitalized myself uh, at uh, a local uh, rehab um, I went into the crisis unit, not so much. They, now, they had a separate rehab unit, but I kind of, you know, I was I was a little leery of that. And, uh, of course, they, you know, called me out on, you know, all, all my substance use, all my behaviors, all my uh, wild ways. And I, I knew going into that that they were, you know, there wasn't going to be happy hour uh, by the pool there. Um, and, and it was, you know, groups. And, you know, and, of course, you know, there's always that one Uh, counselor or nurse or you know person there that kind of has your number puts you in the hot seat calls you out on your BS and I was fortunate enough to you know to have that that guy who you know he got me thinking he shoved a big book in my hand and I went out after that um, and I I think I lasted uh, 10 days or two weeks in sobriety, you know, I was introduced to AA, the traditional model, went to a few meetings, and kind of went for, you know, okay, I'll I'll check this out. And, of course, picked up that first drink, which, uh, you know, as an experiment, of course, and uh, yeah maybe I can handle it now. And I handled that first drink so well that, you know, two days later, I handled a a six-pack. And by you know, the end of the, the week, uh, that open bottle of vodka was under the seat of the car again. And I didn't really know how that happened. But that's a, a valuable lesson that I, you know, hold on to to this day. Uh, so brief experience of recovery and now bouncing uh, in that limbo uh, between recovery and uh you know, active addiction, I, I, I saw, hey, this isn't getting any better, I can't control this, what do, what do I So I started trying to go to those meetings and, you know, spent a period of time, I call it my orientation period, where I really was trying to get what they get, to have what we have in recovery without doing what we do in recovery. And you know I kind of had to do that experiment. I, I, I did my couple of months in that, and all it did was get worse until I uh, had a, uh, uh, an injury, which sidelined me from work. and you know, I, I was powerless, uh, as we like to say, and, and drank around the clock pretty much for 10 days till I tried to go back to work. And this, this was 28 years later I'm sorry, it took me a couple minutes to get to your original starting point. So 28 years ago uh, I, I show up at work and, uh, you know, it wasn't like I was just hung over from, from a 10 day bender. I, I was still drunk. And my, my manager called me out. You know, this is the one that had said, you know, a couple of months earlier, Keith, there's been some concern. And so, you know, I knew the jig was up, um, the, the weight of my irresponsibility and, and my, my self-loathing, it crashed down on me like a ton of bricks. And I, Instead of, uh, you know, uh, waiting somewhere for her to come chew me out, uh, I, I changed my clothes and snuck out the back door, and I went home, and I thought about ending my life. Okay? I, I, the feelings of despair, of unworthiness, of, of um, you know, it, it was my absolute bottom, at least, to date. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to die. And I had been to enough, um, you know, AA and talked to enough people and realized, you know, I can't figure this out, but if I surrender to it, I can, you know, that's my obvious course right now. And and, and so I did. Um, And and all the, you know, I I knew where there was one guy I could call, and and that's what I did. I picked up the phone, and I stayed sober that day, and I've been sober since that day. Um, I went through withdrawal on the couch, and I don't recommend this as a registered nurse and you know somebody who has, who has had that experience personally. Um, yeah, alcohol withdrawal can be life threatening and and dangerous to your to your health. So. There, there's my public service announcement. But I, you know, I had done it the other way the first time in rehab. And, uh, you know, it certainly minimized the effect that those, you know, they gave me a few pills, which I, I, I didn't really know what they were. I didn't know about the process, but uh, I knew it was pretty brutal. So a couple of days on the couch, but I, I dragged my butt to meetings uh, both both days. And, and by the, you know, uh, the weekend, five days in, you know, I was almost feeling human again. And there there was this there was this thing that was looming large for me. I had to come to terms with this that thing that, that they were all talking about. The people who were succeeding, the people who were recovering. Pretty much the commonality was that they had a higher power. They spoke of this, they talked about how it was the resource that that was there for them when their willpower failed. And you know, I knew I would have to come to terms with this, so uh, in the privacy of the bathroom behind a closed door, I got on my knees, and i didn 't really know what I was doing, but I was very sincere, very humble, and I just sort of said this prayer quietly but out loud there 's anything there. Can I know about this? Can you give me a sign so that I can you know ha- have some faith, do things the way everybody 's talking about doing it? Take the suggestions. And there was no earthquake, there was no bolt of lightning, there was no uh, anything. Um, Jean, are you still there?
1: I'm here, I'm listening, okay, seriously, no, just, and writing just questions. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, just,
2: I'm just talking. Um,
1: I'm an unnervingly quiet interviewer. That, that, that's I okay, I just to wanted to talk. make sure
2: we were still, still connected sometimes. Anyway, all right, so um, I, I get up off my knees, I, I come out of the bathroom, the girlfriend's looking at me like... Oh, what was what's going on in there? And uh, I, I excused myself and I, I went to a big open AA meeting for the first time. Um, Two hundred people in a room, largest I'd, I'd been to up to that point. And um, speaker meeting, you know, the the, the basic, uh, you know, logs So the third person speaking that morning was a young woman, and I was somehow sure i had seen and heard her before to the point where i even thought about okay i'm just going to take a break i'm going to go out and have a smoke or something and you know cuz cuz this is a repeat and uh, no 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 okay i'm no i'm really being dedicated i'm going to sit and listen and yeah the, the, she was so familiar that i knew parts of her story um as as she was telling it uh yeah here is the part where she you know talks about uh teaching Being a wallflower, being shy and quiet until she has a few drinks. And then at at the high school party, she would teach the football team how to do ballet. I Remember that detail. And then this devilishly clever thing where she and a friend would, the friend would go to a neighbor's front door, ring the doorbell, while she went to the back slider and stole his um, bottle of of booze out the back while he was answering the front door. And I thought, oh. It's fiendishly clever, and uh, uh, but real details um, of, of the story um, I'm, I'm remembering. And, uh, you know, the self-loathing, the fights with her mother, uh, the laundromat, and uh, just... Uh, and so she finished up, and they called the break, and as I was, you know, heading outside to have that, that smoke I'd, I'd postponed, our paths crossed. And so I said hello, thanked her for, you know, speaking, said... Um, you know, I heard you before recently, but, um, I got a lot out of it this morning. Thank you. And she was with another young woman and they looked at each other strangely, uh, and said, well, when did you hear me? She asked. And she said, uh, I I, I said, you know, I can't, I'm a little sketchy on that, but, uh, um, you know, I know it was uh, at a local meeting and she said, I haven't spoken for six months, making it completely impossible. That I, I, for me to have heard her. Yet, she was so familiar. I was so sure about this, and, and at that point, I just wanted to fade into the woodwork and and be invisible. So I, I sheepishly excused myself, went went, you know, out, outside. But 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 somehow this there was there. This was powerful. This was a a thing that, uh, w- w- you know, I, I was puzzled. And then I realized I, I had asked for something. Yet. You know, it, 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 this was something. It just didn't come in a way that I anticipated or expected. Or, you know, it, it was in a completely different, unexpected form. But nevertheless, it was the answer to that prayer. And, you know, th- this, I didn't stop thinking about this all day. You know, and I, and I told one guy about this uh, at a second meeting that evening. Um, guy, you know, kind of made friends with, and said, you know, I'm I, I'm with you, but, you know, maybe you shouldn't go around telling everybody. Uh, so okay, so all right, so uh, 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 but this was a light bulb moment. This was, you know, this was the earthquake. This was the lightning bolt that that hadn't really happened, and I just kept thinking about this. And uh, you know, I have had the gift of of, of a faith uh, since, since that time. So, um, okay. So this is my, you know, my first days of recovery. Well, I started going to meetings and, uh, I found myself a a temporary sponsor and, uh, I can say I haven't been without a, a sponsor or a mentor. Uh, every day I've been, you know, in recovery, uh, 28 years later. But, you know, I started doing the drill, taking the suggestions and, you know, AA was the, um, the vehicle that that was there it was you know all, all the programming, all the you know uh, everybody said, you know this is how you get sober, so you know I showed up and, and i i I did the drill um started working the steps, started getting active, um you know doing all those things I was looking for a way around before, and uh time just started to accumulate and I I was staying sober and you know I I fixed that whole train wreck at work took responsibility faced the consequences of my actions and I was serious now you know I was I was a cat who had used eight out of nine lives to be sure but I was good with that sometimes when you know your ships are burned and there's no way back you know the only way forward is is to just do what's in front of you and you know that was that was part of it for me and I, I was serious and uh, so stuff happened. Um, you know, I started, you know, asking questions to be sure at, at, at the meetings and getting a little judgment, getting a little keep coming, uh, some of that stuff. And that was important to me, which I'll explain about a little later. But I, I had some wonderful and amazing things happen. Uh, I, I started pondering the larger questions, pondering, you know, spirituality, because I had that that gift, you know, what what's that what 's that mean to me what 's you know what 's the meaning of my life what's what's the meaning of the experience of having addiction? Um, what am I doing with my life and uh, so I was you know I was working in the operating room, and one day I come back from lunch and I look over you know i 'm checking the afternoon assignment and I see a familiar face over in the holding area and it 's this woman, her name is Lucy, that I knew from meetings I went over and and and, and said hello and uh, what brings you here well. Cancer brought her there, and she was having a diagnostic procedure, and I was assigned to it. Um, so I talked to her for for you know a couple minutes, excused myself, and uh, said I have to you know go get ready for your, your your operation. I'll come back if I can. And as it happened, the surgeon was late that day, and I did have an opportunity to spend some time with Lucy. and And it was told to me later uh, by some some other. People who who know her, what comfort she took in that, and this was new for me. Okay, because my job involved working with the equipment, working with the the you know setting up, and just you know not so much being with with the patient and and uh, you know doing the nursing end. I was a technician at the time, a- a- and so you know that came as a, as a bit of a revelation. Um, the news was not good for Lucy, um, and and you know we we grew very close. Uh, in the months that followed, until she passed, um, but you know what had been just a momentary thing for her was life-altering for me because I started really thinking about, wow, man, that felt so amazing to to talk with her and then you know have it have it some good come of it at least you know help her feel better, alleviate her anxiety, and it was about that time that. The right person asked me the right question in the right way while I was in the right place. And somebody said to me, why don't you get off your ass and go to nursing school? And I realized, you know, what have have I been doing for the last 10 years? Well, I've been playing in bands. Uh, I've been doing this job in in a blackout. And yeah, you know, maybe I could do more. So um, as it happened, uh, there was an opportunity to start taking some courses if you wanted to further your career and I did that. pretty soon I was I was back in in college like within weeks uh for the first time in in over 10 years and I you know worked toward um er earning a nursing degree I got into the the program and and uh you know graduated on the dean's list um while working full-time while maintaining my recovery and you know some other stuff had happened and you know by the time I was five years sober I had uh, you know, I was sitting there in front of my home group t- telling, you know, my story and, and what had happened in five years. Um, not only had I stayed sober, I quit smoking, um, started taking care of my body, started working out, uh, earned a degree, was, was you know, at, at the starting point of a, a, a new path in, in, in my career, uh, bought a home, and, and I just externally seemed like this whole different you know person but but inside i was also um profoundly changed somewhere in you know in that early on really in the first year or two i became somebody not you know much different than the guy who had the open bottle of vodka under the car um and not just somebody who can't ever drink again okay i became somebody who stays sober under any and all circumstances no matter what um, in, in fact, I became, you know, kind of a, a different version of myself, uh, a different person who is almost free of the addiction. I never thought about or wanted to use or drink or get high. Um, and only in these abstract circumstances where, uh, you know, uh, something would go wrong. And I would think abstractly, oh, yeah, this is the stuff people drink over, huh? People relapse over these. Yeah, but it, I never wanted to. So, okay, so I started a, a nursing career, and I had lots of, uh, as the saying goes, forced feedings of humble pie. Uh, in, in, in my recovery, in relationships, uh, in, in my fledgling career as a nurse, um, lot, lots of challenges, lots of learning opportunities, lots, lots of character building. You know but I, but, I kept doing the work, and uh, you know kept kept asking those questions and uh, you know a, a kind of a spiritual mentor took me aside one day and said, "You know keith um, you you rub people the wrong way sometimes just just by the way you are you you, you step into a room and you 've got this confidence or at least you look that way and, and, and some guys you know don 't don't just don 't like you because uh, you know, because that's how you are, a- and I realized, um, wow, that's that's a lot to wrap my head around. But it had been something, you know, I, I, I was pondering, and it, it sometimes it's you know these these things come along to make us question ourselves. Certainly, and 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 I really look at my side of the street in most things, um, but but this was this was very useful to understand that. Um, You know, sometimes it's not about basing my happiness on the opinions of others. You have to, you know, sort of declare, you know, where you stand on things um, and ask those questions. And when you get that, you know, snarky laughter and that keep coming stuff, you know, sometimes it's really not about me needing to keep coming so much as, you know, we like our old ideas and your new ideas Kind of threaten those sometimes, so you know a, a real learning and growth process, and you know in my first uh, ten, 10 years or so. So uh, life went on, and I became interested in alternative and complementary healing. I started asking questions about okay, so I'm in this mainstream medical career, nursing, and uh, uh, there there's more. I had an experience where um, I was in a, a relationship with a woman who was. A polarity therapist. And I asked her, what's that? She says, well, close your eyes. I'll show you. And and I just stood there and I sort of felt myself being pulled off balance. It was like somebody was pulling me. And I opened my eyes and she's got her hands sort of about three, four inches in front of me as if she's manipulating a, uh, uh, a structure connected to my body, except she was not. She moved me in physical space without touching me. And I'm like, oh, okay, that happened. And, you know, do you just go home and make dinner after that? Or, you know, <laughs> the, the world just changed. Come on. <laughs> and, and, and so this sort of sent me off on another whole, you know, path of questioning. Um, you know, the, the five sense reality, there is just more than we see, hear, feel, taste, and smell. And I wanted to learn about this. So I started pursuing that reading and consuming all, all of this uh, stuff. And I, you know, it it was made for a nice dinner conversation and and it took me a while to integrate all that. Actually, it didn't always make for a nice dinner conversation because sometimes the person having dinner at me would start sneaking peeks at their watches or, you know, (laughs) I could tell, all right, I, I have to figure all this out for myself. So I did, I just, I just kept at this and, uh, you know, stayed, stayed sober, started doing a lot of different things in, in nursing, gaining a lot of experience there, but also understanding that, you know, that there's a much wider picture than this, and and uh, learned how to take care of my own energetic system, and learned how to, you know, kind of sense and be more intuitive about other people, until about eight years ago, uh, you know, now reading a lot of books and, and a lot of influences and, and so forth, I, I, uh, heard a guy talk on the radio, and I wonder, you know, I'll check out his book. And uh, I read his book, and I, I wonder if he comes and does, you know, lectures or anything. And lo and behold, he was he was coming to upstate New York uh, in a, in a couple of months, and I, you know, went and uh, did the workshop, and you know, started learning about uh, a, a form of meditation uh, and and some other, you know, kind of neuroscience based. Work, sort of the intersection of neuroscience and spirituality. And and that was Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he is one of my um, big teachers. Um, So, since then, you know, I've I've done that work for a long time, been to, you know, all kinds of workshops, um, and and learned uh, how to, you know, apply that type of transformation that involves um, elements of. Epigenetics, which is a new science which tells us that we are not slaves to our genetic destiny, we can rewrite our genetic blueprint um, elements of of the quantum model, uh, which tell me that you know uh, if the subatomic particles are entangled and behave non locally that The the small affects the large, and that that has ramifications not only for for my personal transformation, but for my recovery, and for the recovery of other people. And and that time is not necessarily the linear past moves into the present, moves ahead to the future thing, that we've all been conditioned and agreed that it is. So uh, let me just talk about that for a second. We have this relationship. I can remember the past. I can act in the present. Which would influence the future, but I can't remember the future. I can't act in the present and influence the past, except that is not exactly written in stone, and and that's something I'll I'll, I'll come back to in a couple minutes. So I I, I decided in in 2013 uh, that I would start writing a book, and. Uh, circumstances I was very committed to this and I wound up quitting my full-time nursing job because I really couldn't get the writing done until you know I I, I had to do something different I wasn't getting it done writing part-time while nursing full-time so I actually quit my job to the consternation of of some of my friends a little little concern there (laughs) having faith that the universe would would you know would catch me if I just sort of like blindly you know fell backwards and let it catch me and it did Um, so I started writing in the first week Uh, I wrote like you know 10 times as much as I'd written any previous week and kind of settled into this you know writing uh, thing and I um, part-time nursing work uh, came my way and and the universe supported me until I was again working full-time as a nurse and the the writing was a solid thing Um, so uh, published the book in 2014 and thought, great, now I'll just sit back and, and watch it fly off the shelf, you know, everybody will be buying it on Amazon, it'll go viral, and and uh, everybody will know about this amazing, you know, model of, of recovery that I'm, I'm, you know, forming, and of course, you know, none of that was true, um, it, it, you know, kind of languished, and I, you know, did a few interviews, and just, just it really didn't Quite know how to do it, but it was all wonderful training. I made every mistake you can make as a fledgling writer and um, learned every lesson and have applied all those as I, you know, wrote my second book, which uh, came out the beginning of this year. Now, the, the cool story about that book is um, that I, uh, I pitched my first book to uh, a publisher. And she said, here's, here's the book we'd like to acquire. And she talked about a, a, a guide for people who need, you know, help and, rec- you know, what do we do? And uh, yeah, well, that's, you know, not what I'm I'm doing. And, but I thought about it and I realized, you know, I could write the crap out of that book. A- and I, you know, got back in touch with her and said, listen, I'm, I'm going to, do this. Uh, I'll get you some sample chapters. And a couple of months later, when I did, she said, "All right, now the board of directors wants a, a, a fast, profitable uh, book on, on overdosing." And and that was you know not what I'd started. It was not you know my mission at the time. And it sounded like such a cash in um, that you know I wanted no part of it. So we parted company, and I kept writing. And so my new book uh, came out at the beginning of this year. It is a nuts and bolts how-to guide for anyone who is poised on the brink of deciding they have an addiction, how to enter recovery, enter rehab if that's indicated, um, establish recovery, how to move forward from there. Um, I talk about all, all the landmines. Um, and you mentioned patchwork recovery. And, you know, that really resonates with me because I, I, I have two uh, principal mantras the first is that recovery is a skill that can be learned by anybody the traditional model is mysterious people think if I go to a few meetings get a sponsor um, show up um, you know get in the middle instead of falling off the edge uh, that that kind of thing you know I, I hope I'll I'll stay sober and, and it's it's a crapshoot and you know Let's take the guesswork out of that. So, and and my other mantra is that um, everyone in in recovery should have a customized individual program of recovery tailored to their specific needs, their circumstances, what works for them. And that might look just like, yeah, go to AA, go to NA, go to meetings of of smart recovery or celebrate recovery or rational. You know, something like like just a, a, program that's, that's already in existence. You just show up, you, you join, you, you know, go to meetings and, and you're in. Or, um, it's not like that, you know, for everybody. That just doesn't work for some people. You, you could do, you know, take what works from the traditional model, the steps. You could work them. You could see uh, a counselor. You could get a recovery coach. You could, um, get into the personal transformation uh, movement, you could, you know, and and then there's the hidden gems that are out there. But what I encourage people to do is just get started. An object at rest stays at rest. An object in motion stays in motion. Go out there, make stuff happen. Look for, you know, the unexpected, like, you know, what happened to me uh, five days sober. And and so, um, you know, this is what I... Uh, What I'm doing today, I am building a community uh, through social media. Uh, It is called the Infinite Recovery Support and Discussion Group. Uh, And uh, this uh, is people from all different addictions who utilize all different forms of recovery. Includes people with decades of recovery as well as people still in active addiction who are comfortable in this group, because we don't judge. It is, you know, everybody's accepted. Everybody's valued. Uh, everybody belongs here. So um, I'm really thrilled with how how that's, you know, come along. That's been going for about uh, uh, nine or ten months now. and uh, You know, it, 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 it's not for everybody, but I think it's one of the best recovery groups on social media. Uh, so I'm... You know, trying to get the word out about the book, about my, my model of, of infinite recovery, which, as I said, endorses tailoring um, your, your own program of, re- of recovery. So the first two parts of the book are, you know, do you have a problem? Here's what you can do about it. Here's how you establish recovery. On through the, um, the booby traps, there's a chapter called, What Could Possibly Go Wrong?, <laughs> and I talk about, you know, what what, what can go wrong. Um, too much emphasis on time, uh, com- complacency, um, the fear, lack, and limitation, and judgment of others, um, you know, is, is the biggest landmine out there for the person new in recovery. Um, you know, we, we need to change a few things. Um, my opinion, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working toward this, and, you know, I, I respect anybody 's choices in terms of what they they want to do with their their own recovery, but um, I will if, if you want to you know listen to to how i've i've done it um, I, I will tell you my take on the twelve steps I will tell you um, about the pillars of recovery and what works in the traditional model um, I, I, I've kind of looked at that and and you know do I need to go to a meeting every day or do I need to participate and be part of a community of like-minded people who have uh, the same problems the same goals as me um, do I benefit do I need a sponsor to you know supervise my my life my recovery or do I need a mentor a role model somebody to run things past and and uh, you know do I need to believe in a power greater than myself or do I need to have some sort of belief system, which could be a wide range? It could be a religious practice or it could be a, a very atheistic uh, perspective. It could be Buddhism. It could be, you know, but ask yourself the larger questions. You know, do do a little work and, and figure out, you know, before you decide what's not for you, learn a little about it before you reject it. I, w- I would recommend to anybody. Uh, The other pillars are um, the knowledge base, what we know about addiction, what we know about recovery. Um, Let's see, what else did I say? Mentoring. uh, There's a couple more, but I I, I think you get the idea. So... uh yeah, I guess, you know, that's sort of I got kind of long-winded there. <laughs> um, oh, uh, I I'm sorry if I ran too long with that, but I think I kind of went up through the, you know, a little bit about the book which you said you wanted. Definitely.
1: To go on. No, that's so. great. And long-winded is is what we want here because we want to hear what you know and what you've experienced and 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 what you're doing now. So that's great. And I have some questions for you about um your book and about your group. So the first thing that that I um, my ears perked up when you said that you know you welcome people in in all stages of addiction and recovery. Um, and I love that you're non-judgmental, but I also wonder how how does that work? Um, do you for people that are still struggling in recovery, do you, do you want them to have the goal of um entering into sobriety to be part of your group? Or do you try to meet people where they're at and help them cope with today? I I would really struggle to change my thinking from saying, you know, I'm okay to meet you where you're at, but I need you to be trying to get to somewhere better. Um, What's your mindset on that? Where, where are you coming from on that perspective?
2: Meeting people where they're at and uh, uh, is a very, very important uh, component. Um, Now, if if I set an example of, you know, somebody who understands that anything is possible, okay, it, it is possible for me to have the recovery and life of my dreams, or just the life of my dreams. And, and, and you know, this is one of the things that the traditional model gets right, um, attraction instead of promotion. So, you know, did, did scare tactics ever work? Did pressure ever work? No. Um so so the you know here here's you know how how amazing things can be. But you know th- this this is is wonderful that you are you know have put down opiates and you know if if that looks like um the marijuana maintenance program for you I've got no issue with that THC or CBD all this stuff. It's very gray nowadays. There are no absolutes so yes um, to meeting people where, where they are and this is why you know sometimes I have to moderate the group a little bit and kind of you know no no, no no this is you know this this is real progress and for 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 this individual and you know kind of aside to somebody so you know let's let's please not say uh you know you have to this you have to that because they don't have to do anything and and being inclusive beats you know being judgmental and exclusive any day and the fact that that people who would not go near a church basement hall of alcoholics anonymous or na uh, and would feel so judged and uncomfortable there the fact that they whether they participate and post or or quietly moderate um and and just make a little reaction to things um that's that's huge for me and that that's you know that's mission accomplished in many ways
1: well my hat is off to you if you're able to moderate a group where you have all those different perspectives because harm reduction is important and it does work for a lot of people and especially i think people that have um you know multiple addictions or or different degrees of addiction um and especially with a lot of trauma we're just you know going cold turkey off of everything. Some people don't heal that fast when they have such deep trauma. Um, However, it can be really hard um, for people that are very rigid and very devout to a pathway of total abstinence or a program that demands total abstinence. And I'm, I'm a, I mean, that's what's worked for me. So I'm an advocate of that. And I feel like it's, it would be great if we could all do that. But I understand not everybody can. However, for some people, um, it's a real threat to their recovery to try to open their mind to the idea that it's okay to not do that pathway because then why is it not okay for them? So I really think it it must be, uh, it must take a lot of heart and a lot of caring to try to bring together all those perspectives and, and let everyone feel heard and validated and um, safe in that environment. So um, my hat is off to you for achieving that or aspiring to that. I want to hear more, Keith, about some of the alternative therapies that you talk about in your book and that you use in your practice. What are some of these things and how do they help us achieve recovery? Uh,
2: alternative Therapies. Um, well, I'm you know I'm not a practicing polarity therapist, although I have, uh, you know, I, I did the training and I really wanted to learn, uh, you know, the principles. So I, I talk in my book about um, um, there, there's three chapters at, at near the beginning of, of the third part, and I talk about uh, the the neuroscience piece and, and neuroplasticity and, and how the brain is is able to change, grow, heal throughout the lifespan. And, and we actually make new brain cells. We used to joke, you know, when we were smoking those J's back behind the school, uh, oh, there goes another 50,000 brain cells. But, you know, we were kind of serious thinking, you know, I hope there's enough. Um, but no, they grow back and we wire new circuits. So so that is, you know, it's it, that's not an energy modality in, in the strictest sense, but that's, you know, something I, I cover and I Try and go real slow and in a non-threatening way with the explanation of that. And The principle I, I like to use, the analogy, is that the Apollo astronauts did not engineer, design, build the spacecraft that took them safely to the moon and back. They were just good pilots. They knew enough to operate it and get the benefits, right? And, and this is how a lot of these you know newer cutting-edge things can work for us. Um, so I, I talk about energy and the energy of you know that everybody just you know kind of feels uh, um, I- instinctively but doesn't know how you know, what it is why why do I feel comfortable here uncomfortable here and, and I explain about that a little bit and and you know it's, it's more about um, giving people an understanding that, that 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 is valid and that as you you clear up um, that Little voice, that little brain in the middle of your stomach, called intuition, that everybody has but nobody trusts, um, is a real thing, and that will come back, and that will lead you, um, you know, in a a, uh, correct path. Once you kind of get past all the, well, okay, substances kind of get in the way of that, and uh, trauma, you know, certainly, and and. I, I encourage people who who have um you know these, these kinds of of issues um psychological issues co occurring um uh mental illness and, and things you know sometimes there's a real aha moment when you know it's it's found out that somebody was really just self medicating to uh compensate for undiagnosed bipolar disorder or uh a d h d or uh, you know, some, something along these lines. And, and, you know, people need to seek the, the proper treatment um, f- for these things, and, and and there's nothing wrong about this. And and to reject, you know, the judgment of others who say, well, this is the way it's done. You're, you're abstinent and end of story. Go to a meeting and do the steps. No, it doesn't, that doesn't work for everyone. So um, I, I know your question was about alternative modalities. Um, I encourage people to seek out um, you know expert uh, ad- advice perhaps in the form of a, a certified recovery coach. I talk about how to do that. Um, everybody should you know once they're they're in recovery should start to take care of their health um, should should see a, a primary care doctor and re- you know for myself I, I didn't see one for about a decade through my 20s. You know, made friends with my dentist again, and you know, started to you know take care of my body. So these are all important Mm -hmm. things.
1: Mm -hmm. You mentioned early on about going through withdrawal alone on your couch, and that it's not something that you recommend. Knowing now what you know (laughs) about it, Um, you know, going through physical withdrawal for me was what what really for me made me realize that I was truly addicted. I think it, it. Helped snap me out of my denial when I realized, oh my gosh, like my body is really suffering as it clears itself of of this addiction. Um, it never occurred to me, and I didn't know that you know medically supervised withdrawal was important, and I I certainly didn't know at that time that alcohol was was one of the withdrawals that can be fatal. Um, so knowing what you know as a medical professional but not giving medical professional advice, but just sharing what you know um, in a way that you feel comfortable, how, how? what is important? What is actually going on during withdrawal from alcohol and what makes it dangerous? And how do people know well, the, if the reg- they should be seeking medical attention during that time?
2: The registered nurse in me um, stepped up and, and wrote a section in the book about how to Do a little triage or initial assessment of yourself. And, uh, okay, do I I need a detox? Um, Do I, you know. And and, uh, there there would be indications uh, like uh, uh, daily use, um, history of daily use, uh, and what you start to experience as you, uh, the hours pass. Okay, am I feeling agitated? Am I feeling... Uh, nervous and okay, my okay my sleep is disrupted, my appetite is disrupted. Um, I feel like my heart is, is is pounding, and you everybody should pay attention to these things, and depending on you know what what their substance of choice was and what their you know amount of usage is, uh, they should at least be evaluated um, that this is you know to some people this is, might might seem threatening. Um, but but it, it, it is important for, for your health, uh, your well-being. Um, the central nervous system becomes uh, accustomed to a certain amount of sedating medication, alcohol, central nervous system, depressant, opiates, central nervous system, depressant. And it basically wants to, its, its job is to maintain a, a balance called homeostasis. So it will start to compensate, and it will learn to compensate on a regular basis. Your central nervous system will compensate for uh, the uh, depressants. Uh, your, your cardiovascular system will learn you know, to pump blood and maintain blood pressure where it would normally be depressed. Uh, your kidneys will become better at excreting the waste products. Your liver will become better at detoxifying them and breaking them down. And, and all of these things have ramifications when you suddenly withdraw that substance. That's why they call it withdrawal. Uh, all of a sudden, it, the system is not restored to that balance. In fact, it goes off-kilter. And it's like you are uh, going down a steep mountain road. And, you know, your, your, your system has been used to putting on the brakes uh while you've been uh stepping on the gas you take your foot off the gas the brakes well actually i got that backwards okay the (laughs) the the body's putting on the brakes well anyway the car starts to roll faster it pops into high gear and you're in danger of crashing i see and and, and so you know you need in some cases um, to be medically supervised for this. And what they, they basically do is uh, in a, a manner where, where uh, it's based on medical indication, they prescribe a medication and, and taper you down while your body has a chance to normalize. That's what the detoxification process involves.
1: How long does that normally take? Is it three days, two days?
2: Some people say opiate detox takes a couple of weeks so there's a there's a lot of debate about this, but um for for alcohol detox uh, seventy two to ninety six hours for for an opiate detox um yeah it, it could be longer mm-hmm. um, and um the physiological um, need uh, dependence um, it, it's hard for us to know where that ends. And the psychological dependence picks right. up. And we become also uh, addicted to other chemicals. I think you might hear my cat. Um, other, uh, The chemicals that we produce, our own endorphins, our own... Uh, chemicals of stress, of of our, our adrenaline, a- and we're kind of addicted to our own drama too. And and there's, you know, for the opiate addict, there's the thrill of the chase um, and, and the score. Uh, for, for the alcoholic, there's a sort of a, a way of of safeguarding our usage. You know, life becomes focused around that drink um, and my behavior is going to reflect that. We don't even realize that we have altered you know, our behavior, our our way of being to you know defend that habit. For for the alcoholic it, it takes the form of you know it's like two plus two doesn't equal four in matters of you know involving alcohol. For the opiate addict it is like threatened survival. And this is you know this is why we we talk about the choice and and, and the lingering opinion of many that the drug addict has a choice, and that is something that, you know, the the pleasure reward center and the limbic system of the brain uh, completely commandeer, overwhelm, uh, and and hijack the higher thought processes. The consequences don't matter. Uh, Responsibility no longer matters. Um, And it's much more about uh, the um, survival instinct kicking in. Um, does that does that make oh, sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. So, so you know, all these things. You know, education is is you know is a start. But you know, we also are not in a, a place to receive that information. I'm sorry. I can't
1: no, no, off. that that's great. Um, I, I, what I was going to say is that even uh, myself, as you know, a, a very high functioning alcoholic who drank. Alcohol at the end of every day to sort of put the brick on my head so that I could sleep at night, um, that feeling yeah. of utter panic um, long after I was physically unhooked from the addiction cycle, the emotional cycle was very real was very real to me and, and still is sometime years later. Um, and I I think it was a conditioning is, is really how I saw it in my mind, that I really had conditioned myself to think of only one escape button. And over time I had to relearn it. And I think that's something that you wrote in your uh, your notes that you had sent me ahead of this, this discussion was that um, we can we can learn recovery. Recovery is a learned skill, but addiction, we can also unlearn addiction. And
2: yeah, this is the beauty of the of the neuroscience approach um where you understand how we learn um behaviors. Uh take driving as an example. Um a- as adults who have been driving for for years, we get in the car and arrive at a destination and unless something really strange happens, we it's it was automatic. I don't even remember doing it. I thought about everything else except, you know, the drive, but I, I stopped at the lights and 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 used the signal and and did everything. Um, addiction can be the same way. So the first time I got in the car, uh, I had to do all these things and I had to think about every component of that. It was it was really hard. Dad made it look so easy, and uh, you know. And and a couple weeks later, I'm kind of driving like okay but i still have to really think about it and and, and finally it becomes uh, a learned unconscious skill um and, and this is accomplished through um you know wiring little networks you know in, in in your in your 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 brain your your nervous system you know which start out as a little footpath and be eventually become widened to a super highway the brain wants to work smart not hard so you know one, one thing I really want to get to before we you know run out of time is that the best way to accomplish this is through a, a specific type of meditation. Um, you learn how to do a basic meditation and then um, you can move on to doing these things in, in a very conscious way, um, which really speeds up the process and I give a lot of instruction in this and, and most people think that this is hard and mysterious and it 's not. Um, especially if you approach it in a in a methodical step by step fashion, so I, I I walk the reader you know through all all this stuff, and um, this this is where recovery becomes a skill. Now somebody might say, "Well, I, I can't you know stop the chatter in my head for five seconds," and I, I I my response to that would be, "This is excellent. You can meditate for four seconds." <laughs> <laughs> what what people what people um, could understand about about meditation is that it's not a successful meditation when you quiet your mind and become the Zen Buddhist monk. No. A successful meditation is when you start to settle yourself down and, and that chatter in your head starts. That front lobe of your brain starts to do its job. It thinks about analyzing things and, oh, do, do my this is my butt itch, you know, and, and nope, 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 I'm going to calm myself back down and, and just settle down and, and take charge of this situation, calm that that monkey mind down. That is a bicep curl for your brain when you do that. That is successful meditation, and all it takes is practice.
1: All right, well, that's inspiring. So we can start small, start where we're at, and grow from there.
0: Precisely.
1: Exactly. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I really appreciate getting to know you and hearing your story. Please tell our listeners how they can find you, how they can order your book and learn more about your group.
2: It's been a pleasure, Jean. Thank you so much for the opportunity to to speak today. Um, my My book is called The Infinite Recovery Handbook. Uh, it is available on Amazon.com and through booksellers, but you might have to ask them to to get it for you. Um, my my group is the Infinite Recovery Support and Dis- uh Infinite Recovery Support and Discussion group, and we we are on Facebook. Um, you can search for Infinite Recovery and find that. I also have a page, and, and I am on Facebook, and I am available for messaging, uh, working with with people in any capacity they. Uh, might like to uh, reach out to me for Um, I'm always here to advise and and uh, share uh, my ideas with people well thank
1: you so much so I've been speaking with Keith Keller author of the infinite recovery handbook and you can reach Keith through so through your Facebook page is that the best way to reach you Keith
2: oh I'm sorry thank you my my website is uh, www.infiniterecovery.org excellent and this has this has information and links to Excellent. everything. Thank you
1: <laughs> Well, great, well, thank you so much, listeners. I hope that uh Keith piqued your curiosity to maybe explore some different avenues or look into some different things and um and be um curious about the patches that you can add to your patchwork of recovery. It has been great speaking to you, Keith. Thank you so much, and everyone listening. Thank you all. Until next time, everyone, take good care.
0: I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. In a dark corner is where shame lies to hand. Oh, you think you're strong just cause you keep it all inside. It just stays in wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can't shine. When you see an old, a different, not proud that that was me. And Basis. I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power. Oh yes, on You don't have to shout it out on Main Street. Too. A whisper to confession never hears. Person you should talk to is looking at you in the mirror, and the one who matters most can always hear. When you say oh, I won't, Not proud, but that was me. And when I face a take back, a little dignity, another look. I just I want, want, want to be free from the power. Oh, you must have free. But when you say I'm old, I did that. Not proud that that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. I'm not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Oh, you guys have a